Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron, and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing movies that we missed. And what I mean by that is, these are films that would have been applicable to previous episodes, but because of timing or other issues, these films were not included. There has been another Matrix movie since our Matrix episode, and there has been another Stephen King movie since our Stephen King episode, and so on. All of these films are relatively new, only one is a little bit older. It was from just a few years ago that was left off the Johnny Depp episode, and so we're going to go ahead and talk about it here. The films we're going to discuss today are Firestarter, Murder on the Orient Express, The Bad Guys, Morbius, Turning Red, The Bob's Burgers Movie, Matrix Resurrections, The King's Man, Don't Look Up, Scream, and Dear Evan Hansen. Let's go ahead and talk about the newest one, The Bob's Burgers Movie. Whether or not you enjoy this film will greatly depend on whether or not you like the show, probably. I love the idea of going into a movie based on a TV show that's ran for 17 seasons? (laughs) And going in blind, if you could go into this blind without having any idea what Bob's Burgers is or having seen the show, I think that's kind of neat. I think that's a cool experience, and I am jealous. I do like the show, and for me, it was a treat. I was all grins. I was smiling the entire film. I love Bob's Burgers, the show. I do have some issues with the movie, and we'll talk about that. But to spend years with characters, and then to go to the movies and see them on the big screen, I just love that. I love that so much. It feels like a treat. Here's a shiny version of something you love. The Bob's Burgers movie has some pretty strong laughs. There were a couple times where I laughed pretty hard. I really loved the little improvements to the animation. The character designs are still pretty simple. The show isn't known for amazing animated camera work. And they do maintain that aesthetic, but there's a greater use of depth. There's more shading and shadows on the characters. The sort of things that they have time to do that they wouldn't have time to do on the show. So the movie does look better. If you're not looking at them side by side, you probably won't necessarily notice. But in the film, there are definitely some 3D shots. I also liked that the movie didn't feel like just another episode. Sometimes that's good, though. Sometimes, like the Entourage movie, or as mentioned to Downton Abbey, when they make a movie of the show, there are occasions where it just feels like another episode, a longer episode a few years later of a show that you liked. But for Bob's Burgers, they made it a musical, they made it a murder mystery, it didn't feel just like another episode. Because if you're making the jump from TV to movies, do more, right? The whole idea is to do more than what you can do on TV. Otherwise, what's the point? I covered a lot of this in the Movies Based on TV Shows episode, but essentially, a movie should do more. Don't just make more TV and put it on the big screen and charge people for it. It should be grander, and I think Bob's Burgers does that. It's not a huge sweeping scope. The PG-13 rating is very, very slightly used. It's really just because somebody is shot and killed in the movie. The PG-13 of the Bob's Burgers movie is not as colorful as the PG-13 of the Simpsons movie. So if you have any concern about content, it really probably could have just been PG. But the movie does feel like more. It feels like more than just TV, which is good, which I definitely appreciate. I do have some complaints. They made it a musical, and the songs are not good. The gag that, oh, these songs are silly, only carries it so far. My favorite character on the show is Bob, and they do kind of push him to the side in the movie. He's not really the main character. They focus more on the kids, which I understand that the kids are popular, but I I wanted more Bob of Bob's Burgers. Taking Bob out of the restaurant, not giving him a lot to do, that's kind of disappointing. Aside from those things, though, I, I really liked the movie. I liked Bob's Burgers quite a bit. We'll see where we end up, but I'm hanging on to the Bob's Burgers movie. For the next one, let's go ahead and get one of the really bad ones out of the way. Oh boy, Morbius. So I'll say that Morbius wasn't that bad. 
It wasn't the most horrible thing ever. It was definitely not good. It was a bad movie. Morbius was bad. At least the Venom movies, which I did not really care for, but at least those had kind of fun. You know, there, there was an element of fun to the Venom movies. But Morbius, oh man, it's just a drag. You can tell that the movie was cut to hell. You can tell that all of these delays wasn't just because of COVID. It was because they were editing it and moving things around. Watch the trailers. There are scenes that are not in the movies. And it's normal for a trailer to sometimes have stuff that's not in the movie. But there's a lot. There's weird stuff like Tyrese Gibson's character has a scar on his neck and a, like a robotic arm. And they never address it. And I feel like Sony doesn't really understand what to do with these villains because they messed up Spider-Man 3. They messed up the Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. You can kind of see how Sony maybe doesn't entirely know what to do without Kevin Feige helping out because the Marvel-produced Spider-Man movies are pretty good. But the ones that Sony did by itself, like the two Venoms and Morbius, they are not good. And they keep trying to make the Sinister Six happen. They've been planning the Sinister Six ever since the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. This idea of doing a villain team-up movie has been on their radar for like 15 years now. And I don't know why, and especially because if they keep trying to do anti-heroes, then where are the villains? Morbius is a villain. Venom is a villain. But they want everyone to be an anti-hero. They want these characters to be loved and likable. They are not good guys. Jared Leto is no Tom Hardy, that's for sure. He's a living vampire, sure, whatever. Making him a hero who has to drink synthetic blood? Like, no, he's a bad guy. Make him a bad guy. And so the movie has no edge, has no identity, has no nerve. If you go back and look at the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, he did great with Scarecrow and the Joker and Bane. These villains had threat to them. They had menace. And Morbius, the character and the film, just has no nerve, no identity. They don't want to offend anybody. It's kind of like, actually, it's kind of like Disney, what they've been doing the last couple of years with Marvel movies. No one can actually have a serious encounter. They keep trying to take away blame from everybody. In the Black Widow movie, the Black Widow assassins, they are drugged. They are chemically drugged and tricked into being assassins. And so they get to be rescued and sprayed with this red mist to make them good guys again. How is that interesting? The Black Widow character was a killer. She made the choice to escape from the Widow program and to make up for the red in her ledger, as she puts it. In the new Black Widow movie, all of the Widows are doing the killings essentially against their will, so it's not their fault. And that's such nonsense. Give these characters some nerve. Give these characters choice. Let them do bad things. Black Widow, as a character, is a murderer. She is a murderer who is choosing to be good to make up for the bad things that she did. That is a human choice. That is interesting. But anyway, sorry, got distracted by Black Widow. The point is that they want to make Morbius blameless. Make him a murderer. Make him a killer. Make him struggle with those choices. But they are so interested in not offending anybody. No drive. He is so bland, so boring. They take no risks because they don't want anybody to dislike him. They're so stuck on the anti-hero thing. Just make him make bad choices and live with them. Make him struggle with having to eat people. That's way more interesting. Jared Little is awful. I don't like how undefined his powers are. He seems to be able to do just whatever the script needs him to do. They just keep adding abilities. Like, oh, he can do this too. He can do this too. I did like Matt Smith in the movie, kind of. He's the only one who seems to be having fun. He plays the super obvious bad guy. He has some weird scenes where he just dances in front of a mirror and admires himself. It's silly, it's strange, and it's the only time that the movie has any life at all. One really weird part, <laughs> and I get that it's a movie and I don't want it to be realistic necessarily, but 
when the cops suspect Jared Leto's Morbius of killing some people and they're interviewing him at the station, Jared Leto makes a you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry joke or reference or whatever. And his face briefly morphs into that vampire face. And the cops don't even react. They just basically say YOLO and walk out like, oh, what a weirdo. His face just changed into a monster vampire thing. And you're not going to react to that at all? (laughs) That's so dumb. I could at least say Venom is fun if you want to watch it. I can say that the original Suicide Squad is worth watching just because it's a weird convoluted mess of production that is worth looking at. Morbius, I would not recommend anybody watch it for any reason. It is not good. Speaking of awful choices, Dear Evan Hansen. Now, Dear Evan Hansen did not do very well, so it's possible you might not have even heard of it, but it came out at the end of 2021, so it could have been in our 2021 episode. Dear Evan Hansen was a very successful musical on Broadway, and kind of like with the movie of Rent, there's one inherent problem I cannot get past, and it seems, based on reviews, that most people can't get past either. And that is, they decided to cast the lead actor from the play in the movie as Evan Hansen, which makes sense. This is a person who has performed all these songs live before. Here's the rub. On a stage, when you are 100 or 200 feet away, it doesn't really matter what the actor necessarily looks like. Anybody can play anybody on a stage because your imagination fills in those blanks. You can have an adult play a child. Movies are not like that, though. So when you have a 28-year-old playing a 16-year-old, that gets weird. And I know if you look back on even the first Scream, when you watch them having lunch together, they do not look like high schoolers. They do not look like children. I get it. Ben Platt plays Evan Hansen, and it is not convincing. They do some weird, creepy makeup and maybe even computer-generated de-aging. I'm not sure, but he looks like an adult. That alone makes the suspension of disbelief difficult, but it gets worse because in the story, Evan Hansen does some pretty awful things. He writes letters to himself saying, Dear Evan Hansen, and it's a a type of therapy for him. Another student steals one of his letters and then commits suicide. And so his family, the boy who died, his family thinks that he was friends with Evan Hansen because he had a letter that said, Dear Evan Hansen, on him. And Evan Hansen doesn't correct them. He goes forward with the lie. And as it escalates, it kind of turns into this thing where you could view Evan Hansen as scummy. In a film, when you watch a 28-year-old manipulate a grieving family, it's not as forgivable. In fact, it's actually kind of gross. I can see why the stage play is good, but when you watch the movie, you really needed a very young actor. You needed someone who was an actual teenager or someone who could genuinely pass for an actual teenager to play this role. Because you could forgive these actions from a 16-year-old. It's just so wrong. The casting is wrong from the start. I will talk very briefly about the new Firestarter. It has Zac Efron, and this movie, of course, could have been in our Stephen King episode. I don't have a lot to say about it because it's not good. It's a bad movie. It is completely pointless. Don't watch it. It seems like people didn't even know it was coming out, so it's already forgotten, which I suppose is good. If you want a bunch of people making grunty, farty faces like they're constipated, and then really bad fire CG shoots around them, sure, but... Part of my issue, though, is that even as a big Stephen King fan, I have read most of his books, nearly all of them, and Firestarter is not one of the good ones. And the original movie with Drew Barrymore is not one of the good ones. If the Firestarter book is a 2 out of 10, the first movie is a 1.5, and this one is a 1. Firestarter has never been good, so I'm not angry about it because it's not like they remade Misery and did a terrible version. This is a bad book that was a bad movie, and now it's another bad movie, so who cares? Let's go and talk about one of the Johnny Depp movies that was not included in his episode from a few weeks ago. 
Murder on the Orient Express. The movie came out in 2017, and the reason it wasn't in the Johnny Depp episode is because he is not a main character in it, like not really. His character motivates the plot because, spoiler alert, he's the one who is murdered. But he is really good in it. I don't know what this says about him as a person, but he plays this gangster scumbag really well. He comes off as very creepy. He only has a few scenes, but he is really, really good in it. I like seeing him go almost comically dark. It's a good use of his persona. The film overall has a very stacked cast like Judy Dench, Penelope Cruz, Leslie Odom Jr. Kenneth Branagh plays Inspector, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Poirot, P-O-I-R-O-T, Poirot, from the Agatha Christie series of novels and TV shows and, of course, Murder on the Orient Express. It was a famous book. It's one of the most published books ever. He has a lot of fun with it. He has a giant mustache. His character is funnier than I would have imagined. There is this sort of whimsy. The first third of the movie is the best, where you're learning about that character, where you see Johnny Depp, you see all the cast coming together on this train. Once Johnny Depp is murdered, the mystery kind of drags. I'm not keeping the movie, but I will say it's worth watching just because of the cast and the production value. The costumes, the train, the sets look amazing. It's a very pretty film. The second half does drag a little too much, but since we didn't get to talk about it on the Depp episode, I brought it up here. (laughs) It's better than Morbius, but I am crossing it off. Next is The Bad Guys, which is a pretty recent movie, and it is actually still doing pretty well in theaters. It's an animated film from DreamWorks, so it would have been in our Shrek vs. DreamWorks episode, the one where Tara famously cut Chicken Run, which I'm still mad about. (laughs) I'm still mad about that. It's so good. Anyway, never mind. Um, The Bad Guys is based on a series of kids' books about criminal animals who decide to be good, and these are animals that we are normally afraid of anyway, so there's a shark, a tarantula, a wolf, and a snake. These are animals that we would scream at anyway. It just focuses on these characters, and that's kind of what I liked about it, is that you like the characters. You like these guys. They're fun together. And they did a really good job with the casting. Everyone is voiced by a mostly celebrity, like Sam Rockwell, Craig Robinson, Aquafina, and surprisingly, Mark Maron. Mark Maron is one of the lead roles, and he is really good in it. He plays the snake. They very much made it seem like everyone was correct for these roles. It wasn't just someone who was kind of famous. They are actually good for the part, which is nice. It's rare because usually these animated films just shove in whoever's famous-ish into every little part for no good reason. It has a very interesting animated style. It's not quite to the extreme of, say, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, but it has a sort of similar vibe where a car screeches and you see little white zigzags through the air like you would see it like drawn in a comic. Things are stylized in unrealistic ways, lots of sharp corners. It's relatively subtle, but it's enough to feel different. It's an amusing movie. I really liked it, and and actually, I'm going to hang on to it for now. Sadly, one that I do not recommend is The Matrix Resurrections. And this one hurts. I really, really, really wanted to like it. We did a franchise fight episode with The Matrix, and I did keep the original as one of my three. I had high hopes for this one, and oh man. The whole time you watch it, you just shake your head and say, why? Why did they do this? In real life, it's said that Lana Wachowski was kind of forced to make the movie, And that is in the storyline. In the movie, Neo works for Warner Brothers, and they're making a video game of The Matrix. They are forcing him to make it, or they're going to do it without him. In this world, The Matrix movies are video games, but they never show you the video games. Instead, they actually show you footage from the earlier films. It's super meta, and they don't do anything with it. In this universe, if they had made it to where the first three movies were movies, like movies that exist in The Matrix, that would make more sense because you have that footage. But I hate it when movies show video games that are clearly fake 
But in this, they don't even show you the video game. The Matrix is supposed to be this giant video game franchise that Neo created, and they never show it to you. It's so weird. And the meta commentary about corporatism and making a product and making a sequel, that's actually kind of amusing. But it just comes off ultimately like Lana Wachowski was angry and unhappy and didn't want to make the movie. There are examples like Gremlins 2 where the makers didn't want to make it, and so the gag is that it's a giant kind of middle finger to the studio, and it worked. Gremlins 2 worked because it's funny. It's a humorous take on, you wanted a sequel? Oh yeah? Well, we're going to give you this. But The Matrix 4 just comes off as if it's being made by someone who didn't want to make it. And the classic Matrix things that you like aren't really here. Lawrence Fishburne is not Morpheus. Hugo Weaving is not Agent Smith. Even the fight scenes... If anything, the franchise was known for its amazing fight scenes and the bullet time. And in this, they have this weird, choppy, slow-motion version of bullet time that is not impressive, and they sort of even make fun of it. The fight scenes also, too, are not filmed by an action choreographer. This is the first movie of the franchise where the Wachowskis directed the action scenes. And so when you watch the fight scenes, it's not made by the same people who made the fight scenes in the first movies. That was made by an action team. And you can tell the fight scenes are not good. They are badly staged. They are badly filmed and hugely disappointing. Not having Morpheus was a huge mistake, at least not in the form of Lawrence Fishburne. Having a weird sort of combination Smith-Morpheus program was strange. It's a strange reason to recast the character younger. Not having Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith. Neo's boss is a secret Smith. He could have been anybody else and it would have been fine. But trying to have this other actor have a Mr. Anderson moment and It's hard to connect Hugo Weaving's Agent Smith's motivations with this character when he just shows up out of nowhere at the end. It just does not work. This whole movie does not work. I get that Keanu Reeves is in his 50s, but having Neo just push his hands out in front of him and then things fly back over and over and over again. And pieces, sure, like having him catch a missile midair and redirect it, that's kind of neat. But all he does is essentially force push like a Jedi for the entire film. And we've seen John Wick. We know that he can fight still. The one positive thing is Trinity. Carrie Ann Moss looks great. She should have been in it more. I would have liked a lot more of Trinity in this. All of her scenes are when the movie actually comes to life. I wanted more of that. And this idea that Neo and Trinity together make the one. Some people, especially like on Twitter and online, have this knee-jerk reaction of, oh, you're trying to rewrite the mythology and Trinity isn't the one and blah, blah, blah. I think the movie is trying to say that Trinity and Neo together are the one, which makes sense. Even within the the universe of the Matrix, the robots, they realize that having them close together creates energy like no other. That's a neat idea. I don't mind that at all, but they don't really explore it. It's, it's essentially just the ending. I really wish they'd come to that point at like the middle. The lack of agents in it doesn't really help. Turning people into bombs was kind of amusing, but it gets tiring. I did like the meta stuff. That early 30 minutes is the best part of the movie when you're still wondering what's going on. Before they tell you what's going on and you're hugely disappointed, that first part of the movie where you're wondering what's happening, that's at least engaging you. I also don't know why they didn't call it The Matrix Rebooted. That just makes sense to me. (laughs) I kind of wonder if it's bad on purpose. I don't know. I wonder if Lana Wachowski purposely torpedoed it. How much of this movie was shaped by not wanting to make this movie? At least on Gremlins 2, they wanted to make the middle finger (laughs) to Warner Brothers. But in this one, it just comes off like... Nobody wants to be there. I'm crossing it off. It's sad. I really, really wanted to like it, but it is what it is. The next is Scream 2022 or Scream 5. We did have a franchise fight episode with the original Scream films shortly before this one came out. And I got to say, I really liked it. It felt both a little new and a little old school. 
Wes Craven died, sadly, and so, of course, this film was made by some new people, but it seemed to capture that same sort of look and feel of the Scream movies, which I really, really appreciate. For one of those legacy sequels, or, and I, the movie introduces the term requel, which I really hate, but it sort of makes sense. The idea of a sequel also being a remake, kind of like with uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Not a fan of that term. It sounds silly to me, but for that, yes, it was pretty solid. Top Gun recently came out as well, Top Gun Maverick, and that one was also a really good legacy sequel. The use of the old characters and the slight use of nostalgia without going too heavy. There will be some spoilers here, so if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. The movie kind of teases that maybe the main character is a little crazy. She has visions of her dead father. As a viewer, you kind of know it's not going to be her. The only real fault of the film, I think, is trying to make you think that maybe it might be her. You just don't believe that to be the case, and so it's sort of a waste of time. A few of the killer stalker sequences are way too long because the moment it cuts to some side character doing some random thing and the camera follows them for five minutes, you know what's going to be them. You know they're going to die next. That does feel a little fast forwardy, you know, if you're watching it at home. Like, okay, uh, we know what's going to happen. Get to it. There's a little bit of that. And because of the modern age where spoilers get leaked, it is kind of filmed in a way to where when they get to the reveal, it really could have been anyone. There's no solid evidence in the film to support who the actual killer is. They just reveal it. And they could have shot four endings with four different killers. And while the film would have supported any of them, that's kind of the problem. You don't really want a film that supports four possible outcomes. You want the film to succinctly lead you to the solution, you know? And that's kind of a flaw with all of the sequels because of the internet and people wanting to spoil it. You never really become engaged in the mystery because there aren't really any clues. Like, that's a good way to put it. It's a murder mystery with no clues. And so that's a bit of a letdown. But other than that, though, it's actually pretty good. If you like the Scream movies, Scream 5 is very, very satisfying. I am holding on to Scream 5. I don't know if I'm keeping it. David Arquette is the VIP of the movie, though. The movie does handle the legacy characters well. If you don't like the previous Scream movies, uh, there's nothing new here to convince you. If you have not seen the original Scream movies, I absolutely recommend that series. 2, 3, and 4, of course, are a little weak. I don't love them. I love Scream 1 so much. And kind of like how the Rocky sequels aren't great, but Rocky and Rocky Balboa, to me, are perfect bookends, Scream and Scream 5 are a pretty good pair. That's ultimately what it comes down to, though. Like, if you enjoyed the first series of Scream movies in any way, then yeah, check it out. The next is Don't Look Up. It was nominated for Best Picture, and I was pretty disappointed in it, actually. In both its comedy and its drama, it was not as strong as The Big Short, which was made by the same people. The film can't quite decide if it wants to be a full comic parody or an actual warning, because the film is a metaphor for climate change, or COVID maybe, but it's about a comet heading towards Earth, and nobody will believe it. Hashtag don't look up, and meanwhile you have these two scientists that are just endlessly frustrated trying to warn people, and Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence are great in it. Leo, especially, seeing him play the sort of Weasley loser is very amusing. But the problem is that the movie is really just one joke. It's just the same joke over and over again. And by the two-hour mark, it's like, okay, I get it for crying out loud. And because of that, every bit of humor becomes obvious. Like, okay, of course this is going to happen. Of course that's going to happen. And I think that they really needed to either double down on some of the seriousness or go even broader with the comedy. The cast is huge. Meryl Streep, weirdly, is very miscast as the president, but it's too long. A message isn't a movie. They needed more movie. 
I like the idea of the of the gag of the film, basically, in that something terrible is coming and nobody will do anything about it. But it's kind of like getting beaten over the head. And, I, and I'm not saying that the message is bad. It's a valid message that some people need to hear. But as a film, it's just the same thing over and over and over again. Don't Look Up is one of those movies that I really wanted to like. I like satires. I love The Big Short. I think The Big Short is fantastic. And that's another serious topic done in a comical manner. I think the comedy would have worked better if if it was done in a more realistic kind of way. Maybe that would have worked better? I don't know. It's still got a bunch of Oscar nominations, but if you look at its overall Rotten Tomatoes critic score, it's only in the like 70s. So even critically, it wasn't loved. And at the Oscars, Amy Schumer made the joke that apparently the Academy members don't look up reviews. As it stands, like The Matrix 4, Don't Look Up is one of those movies that I wanted to like. Even now, I just feel kind of bad because I really want to like it. All right, next is The King's Man. I absolutely love the first Kingsman movie. Matthew Vaughn is a talented person. He brings a lot of style to his movies. But unfortunately, this franchise just gets worse and worse, gets exponentially worse. It's kind of like the Pitch Perfect series. A long time ago, I made the joke that Pitch Perfect 3 is almost like the cast died in a plane crash halfway through filming, and then they just edited whatever footage and outtakes they had together to release a movie. Because the drop in quality from Pitch Perfect 1 to 2 to 3 is outrageous. I love the first Pitch Perfect. I do. 2 is pretty bad, and 3 is atrocious. And then the Kingsman series, I love Kingsman. And then part 2, the Golden Circle, is just terrible. And then the King's Man, the King's Man is one of the worst movies I saw last year. It is endlessly boring. It is dry. It is pat. And some of the weird flourishes are some of the better parts of the film. Rasputin is a great character. Reese Evans is having so much fun playing this complete bizarre weirdo, but they barely use him. His fight scenes are great. There's a weird sort of erotic moment with him and Ray Fiennes that is so bizarre that it comes off as sort of like cringy weird. But for me, it's one of the best sequences of the movie because it has such flair and personality and strangeness that I wanted more of that. I wanted more of the bizarre. Ray Fiennes plays a pacifist. And so he spends the whole movie not wanting to fight. And then, of course, he ends up in a situation where they they pull Psycho and the person you think is the main character ends up dying. And so Ray Fiennes becomes the main character and ultimately forms the Kingsmen as we know them in the later films. But there's a weird mixed message there that the man who wants peace has to learn (laughs) to fight and kill people. I am not interested in movies where the hero doesn't want to be the hero. I get that they're going for character growth and motivation, but don't reject the calling. That is not interesting to me. The movie is absolutely like 40 minutes too long. Everything with Rasputin is great. And the film uses real history to set up its framework. And the real history is interesting. The level of detail is to be applauded. But overall, it just doesn't work. Maybe it plays better on Hulu because you can pause it. You can look at your phone. You can go to the bathroom. But I saw in theaters and I just wanted it to end. (laughs) I cannot recommend The King's Man. I recommend part one, not part two. And definitely not this one, not part three. All right, so far I have kept three movies, the Bob's Burgers movie, Scream 5, and The Bad Guys, and there's only one left to discuss, and that is Turning Red. Turning Red would have been in our Pixar episode, and this is difficult for me because it's not a bad movie, but I didn't like it. Tara and I have discussed before how there's a difference between kids' movies and kid-appropriate. Just because I'm an adult doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good movie. It doesn't matter if it's made for kids. Good is good. And Turning Red is a good movie, it's just... I did not connect with it in any way. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just I can clearly see that maybe I'm not the target for this one. If it doesn't connect to you, that's fine. 
movies are made for different audiences. That's just true. And it's okay if you can't relate to a movie. When I watched Turning Red, I could tell that there would be people who would love this. I liked how cute the panda was. I liked the sort of Aardman character design. The metaphor for puberty is pretty funny. I've seen plenty of YouTube reaction videos where people absolutely relate to the family dynamic in it. There's no doubt that the people who want this movie love it. Really, the only other Pixar movies where I kind of felt this way were Luca and The Good Dinosaur, where I could tell that, okay, I am not the right age for this. I did like most of the movie before she turns into a panda, but before she's a panda watching her navigate life with her friends, that was actually pretty entertaining. That was amusing. Really, I only had two problems with Turning Red. One was that, just like we talked about before with Coco and Encanto, Disney made a cartoon movie where a stubborn matriarch is the villain. And I understand that this is how families can be, parents can be overbearing, but they did it again. The conflict of the movie is because of a stubborn matriarch. And if they hadn't done it before, then I probably wouldn't even think twice about it. I probably wouldn't even notice. But doing it again? I don't know. I don't know what they're trying to say. At least in Turning Red, though, the mother's personality has more to do with the plot and the storyline. It's more relevant to the characters and character development. And the other ones, like in Kanto or Coco, it's more of just an excuse or a motivator. The other problem I have with it, and this might just be me, her mom turns gigantic and starts thrashing and destroying this stadium at a music concert for a boy band. She tears the roof off and starts stomping in, and everybody runs. And like, maybe we've just had so many disasters in the United States or moments of panic with shootings and things, but I got a sort of unpleasant feeling because cartoon or not, 25,000 people running out of a stadium in a panic, people are going to get trampled, people are going to get hurt. Not everyone's going to get out of the way. Like she is stepping into the stands and onto the stadium. And I know it's just a cartoon. And I know people are probably going to scream at their at their headphones that it's just a cartoon. But a giant monster stomping on a stadium full of kids, even if you say, oh, they all ran and got out. Like I've seen too much actual real life footage, like on the news of children running for safety. It, it just put a sort of sour feeling in my mind. Maybe that really is just me. I don't know. But that end sequence of her tearing open that stadium full of kids. Uh, I didn't like that. But the movie's not bad. It's just clearly not for me. It's visually pretty. The panda looks great. The voice actors do their jobs well. I haven't crossed it off yet. So with Turning Red, that leaves me with three animated films and a horror movie. This is kind of difficult because is Turning Red better than The Bad Guys? Is Bob's Burgers better than Turning Red? Where does Scream 5 fit in? I would normally have one or two definites, but really, it could be any of these, any three of these four. This kind of feels like in the Shyamalan episode where I was debating keeping signs because I did not like signs, but I know that it was successful and people like it. So with Turning Red, do I keep it just because everyone else likes it, even though I don't? Uh, you know what? I hate to do it, but I'm going to fall on the side of public opinion because as much as I respect what they did with Scream 5, Thinking long-term, I don't know if I could defend Scream 5 versus Turning Red, which I think will still resonate with people. So even though it's not for me, I'm going to hang on to that one and I'm going to cross off Scream 5. And so with that, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Turning Red, The Bad Guys, and The Bob's Burgers Movie. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas or Instagram at ValleyWestCinemas underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash podcast. And of course, please rate and review. That helps us a bunch. I'm your host, Aaron. Thank you for listening.